Hey, good morning, Coastal Church. Pastor Sean here. I want to wish you a happy new year, happy 2024, and uh, so excited you are attending this Sunday morning. I want to introduce our series called Anchors. And, you know, I'm anticipating, and as I'm sure many of you are, uh, 2024 to be a turbulent year, a presidential election. We still have a couple wars going on around the globe, and that can be unsettling. But as a Christian, we have much to be settled on. And so this series, I want to focus on really three things. One, I want to encourage us to be eternally minded, that our anchors rest in the gospel, which rests in eternity. Number two, out of Ezekiel 37, I want us to be anchored in the word of God. God's word will give you life and hope and joy. And then finally, I want us to be anchored in the church. I want us to see the local church as the bride of Christ. I mean, think about the beauty of the bride of Christ. And I really believe in 2024, if we anchor on these three things, God will give us strength, hope, and joy as we journey through this year. Happy New Year, and welcome to the new series, Anchors. Well, there we go. I always forget that we're going to have those introductory videos, and they usually cover my introduction. So uh, that's a really good thing. Listen, I'm starting off 2024 the same as I ended 2023. I forgot an announcement. So, uh, ladies, last week I announced, and we had actually in our bulletin, an event on the 20th of January here. That is not happening. But instead, we want to encourage you to join in with uh, one that's going on this coming Saturday at our Yorktown campus, a ladies' brunch. Uh, our ladies are coming together there, so uh, please be sure to do that. You can get some more information online. I'm sure gocoastal.org slash events, probably, uh, and Women of Coastal. So check that out. It'll be great. I think it's 9.30 on Saturday morning. All right? Well, listen, I don't know about you, but as Pastor Sean just said in that video, this has been a turbulent year in a lot of ways. I know uh, we just talked to... Uh, a friend of ours from our past that we happened to see at, I don't know, Costco or something uh, in the last few weeks. And, you know, how's your year been and how's it been since it's probably been several years since we saw them. And uh, they said, oh, this has been a rough year. We, we both lost our moms this year. And so I know there are things like that. There are things in your personal life. There have been uh, perhaps sicknesses or illnesses or surgeries you've struggled with or or uh, perhaps your mind has been drawn to the news which uh, man that's I don't know sometimes I wonder if I should even watch the news it feeds my sense of uh, of uh, unsettledness right but we've got two active wars that are in the news and of course multiple other uh, wars and skirmishes happening around the world we have uh, a presidential uh, uh, election coming up this year, but even aside from that, the division that's in our country and among our politicians is as awful as it's ever been, right? And 2024 promises to kind of be same song, second verse, right? I mean, it doesn't sound like things are changing a lot. So what do we do when we get into circumstances like that, or whether they're earth-shattering kind of events, uh, culture-changing events, or, or whether they are events that simply affect us or perhaps our family, and for us, they are nevertheless earth-shattering events. In fact, I re I'm reminded as I say that of an experience I had um, the day after 
9-11 happened. Of course, that was a horrible and it affected the, the very soul of our nation and we were all grieving. And on the 12th of September, I had someone very close to me call me and they were brokenhearted because their spouse had just walked out and gone to be with someone else. And I remember thinking at that day, the reason that was such a, such a thing for our country is it was a, a bunch of things that affected individual families all together at the same time. It had impacted us deeply. But the 12th was just as hard on that person as the 11th had been because that was a terrible uh, shattering of their home. So we have these kinds of things that happen to us. And so the purpose of this series, Anchors, is to help us remember there are some things that we can settle ourselves in and, and settle our hope in. Does 2024 look better than 2023? Well, Politics is more divisive than it's ever been. Ukraine and Russia still don't seem to show signs of slowing down. Uh, Israel and Hamas continue to battle it out. The stock market rises and falls. The housing market's teetering on a cliff. I, I read just an article just this morning that said good news about the housing market is it's not going to get any worse for 2024. Gee, thanks for that. Um, the, even, even the local grocery market is garnering a larger and larger segment of your uh, money, right? Of your diminishing valued money. It just seems like everything is hard. If I had to pick a word for the year uh, as we come into this new one, like Webster always does, I suspect I might pick something like unstable or uncertain, right? There's a lot happening around us that we perhaps wonder, man, I feel like I'm, like I'm unsteady on my feet. I have uh, lots of friends uh, who live in more northern uh, parts of the country, many of whom have had to have church services canceled today because of a snowstorm that came through. I have lived in snow country all of my life until I moved here. And I had people when I moved here said, you know what, you're going to miss the snow. Well, I can testify, I've been here 20 years, and so far, I don't miss it a lick. <laughs> Not even a little bit. I know some people love it, good for them, I'm really glad. But when I picture snow, I picture slipping and sliding and, you know, new, new routines for breakdancing when I hit a patch of ice and whatever it is, right? Because it's just, for me, it makes me unstable. I need something to hang on to. Well... We have some things to hang on to, right? So listen, I want to talk to you about John 14 today. Now, there's always a danger. John 14 is a very familiar passage to those who have been around the family of God for some time. If you haven't, I hope you're going to find this a refreshing and, and invigorating section of Scripture. If you're new to the family of God or perhaps you're still investigating spiritual things and not sure what to think, uh, but even if you've been around a long time, man, I hope you won't have a, a follow the temptation to say, oh, yeah, I know this. I can quote most of this section of Scripture because there's so much here that helps us remember we've got an anchor that keeps our souls secure. The anchor is found in Christ. We are anchored in Christ, and that helps us to be eternally minded. 
So in John 14, the disciples are struggling, they're battling, they're, they're frustrated. We've just been through, from the reading of the Gospel of John, chapter 13 was in the upper room where Jesus washed the disciples' feet and, and all of these things. And then he's talking about one of you is going to betray me and I'm going to go and I'm going to be killed. And, and, then, and now he's saying, I'm leaving you. They had a whole different picture of how things were going to be. Uh, Jody and I were out yesterday, and she grabbed a T-shirt wherever we were, and, and it was one of those with a, with a meme on the front of it, and it had a, a straight line, what I thought my life was going to be like, point A to point B, and then the other one, how my life has turned out, and it was just squiggles right all over the place. That's what was happening to the disciples right here in this section of Scripture. They knew Jesus to be the anointed one of God, the Messiah. They knew that he was who God had promised to send. They thought it was all going to happen right then. And now he says, I'm leaving, but I will be back. He thought it was them who would free them from their current state and provide them with an opportunity to enjoy God's kingdom right then. Can I tell you? For the believer, that's how we sometimes feel right now. Man, I just can't wait to be in God's kingdom. But it isn't here yet. We're not in it yet. I know there's always a now and not yet. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're in the kingdom of God, there's no doubt. But there's a difference between that and being physically in the presence of God, right? We're not there. I'm going away to be with God, Jesus said, but you can't come right now. Why not? Why couldn't they come? Why, why would Jesus be leaving just when they felt like it was time for things to get better? It's an important passage of Scripture for anybody who faces uncertainty or fluctuations in life. It's a passage that offers an anchor for our soul in troubled times. So I want to talk to you, first of all, about our heart. And that's just in verse 1. Jesus says to his disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. They were troubled, right? In case you wonder, is it okay for my heart to be troubled? You know, sometimes I think people whose heart is troubled and they're, they're struggling with something, they, they add to their own misery by thinking, I must be some kind of terrible, unspiritual wretch. Why should I struggle? Why should I have trouble? Why should my heart be troubled? Their hearts were troubled, and Jesus said, I, I got something better for you than that. Don't let your hearts be troubled. When? Why? What's the purpose? How are we troubled? Right? They were troubled because Jesus was leaving, and they didn't know the schedule. They didn't know when exactly he'd be back, and what was that going to look like, and when is the kingdom going to be here? They didn't know all the details, and we really like the details, right? We want to be people who will uh, be able to look at the schedule and the plan and the calendar and say, okay, this is happening, and okay, I'm good. Because we place our stability in knowledge, in knowing stuff. Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Be troubled. You believe in God. Believe in me also. So why are we? We're not, we're not in their shoes. We're not wondering if Jesus is leaving. He already did leave once. 
We know he's coming back, but we don't know when. So how are we troubled? I think sometimes we're troubled by the way things have turned out. We got married. And we thought that was going to solve all of our problems. I won't be lonely anymore. We'll have two incomes. We'll have, you know, whatever, right? If you still think that's true, I'll see you Wednesday night at our biblical marriage class, right? Because we get in there and we realize, oh, we're two very different people, right? It's fascinating that the very fact that we're different is what draws us together. And the very fact that we're different is what annoys us daily sometimes, right? The things that we saw in another person that helped fill in the holes in our life become the things that are frustrations. Marriage doesn't always turn out the way you thought it would. Sometimes it gets really bad. Sometimes I worked really hard. I saved money. I've been faithful. I've been diligent. And then whatever it is happened. A fire happened at the house. The car broke down and I had to use up some savings to get a new car. Whatever it is. Sometimes it's, we're troubled by the way things turn out. Sometimes we're troubled by our own weaknesses. I'm still fighting with that one thing that it just seems like it's been years and it just comes back around every once in a while and I'm struggling with this thing. Maybe it's some besetting sin. You know you should not be doing this, but you just find it so hard to break the cycle. Maybe you're wondering why you're still fighting with that discouragement or anxiety or whatever that emotion is that you particularly are battling with and you wonder why after all these years of walking with Jesus why am I still struggling with this it troubles your heart perhaps you've been troubled by the effects of sin in the world you look around you you look around at the world we live in and the the degradation of our society and how awful things seem to be spiraling out of control or maybe there are difficulties in relationships you're in and you're not even sure how it happened. We're troubled. And he says, you already believe in God. I mean, that was their religious heritage, right? Believe in me also. They needed to get their focus on Jesus. Trust me, he said. I know what I'm doing. I've got this. It's really hard to trust. It's not always our instinctive response to say, you know what, I'm going to rest in Christ. I know he's got this. Because it doesn't feel like anybody's got whatever this is, right? It's out of control. They already believe. Can I remind you, the gospel is for believers, not just unbelievers. The gospel, according to the New Testament, is the thing that continually transforms us. It, it helps to change us from one degree of grace to another. It helps continually mold us into the image of Christ. It's the gospel that does that. It's the reality of Christ and his work for us. Jesus said, you've got to continue to keep your eyes focused on me. What do you do with a, with a child? who's nervous, and they, they're, just, they're just uncertain. I, I used to tell my kid, look at me, look at me. You get their attention, you get them to get their attention on you instead of whatever's happening. 
Get them to come over to you if you can, right? That's what Jesus is saying to them. A little bit like Peter when he was walking on the water. He's out there, which, you know, I, I would remind those of us who, like, fault Peter for sinking. At least he got out of the boat, right? He gets out of the boat. He says, Jesus, if that's you, bid me to come to you. And Jesus says, well, come on. And he gets out and he starts walking to Jesus on top of the lake. Now, that would be really cool, right? And it's in the middle of a storm to boot. And then the Bible describes how that when he saw the waves and the winds, which means he stopped looking at Jesus and he saw what was going on around him, he began to sink. I know I've said this before here, but that's not how it works, right? I don't know about you, but if you've ever been in any deep kind of water, you never start to sink. You just sink, right? You go down. I suspect, I have no proof of this, so... Don't, don't write it down and hold to it or anything. But I suspect he started to sink. And as he went down, he even had time to say, Lord Jesus, <laughs> save me. And Jesus reached out his hand and took him and said, why did you doubt? Isn't that a funny question to you? What, what, do you, what were you so concerned about? What do you mean I'm walking on a lake in the middle of a storm? Right? Jesus said, look at me, trust me, I know what I'm doing. You believe in God, believe also in me. That dealt with their heart. Then he reminds them about their home. Verse 2, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That's his promise in verse 2. I told you there is something good happening. I mean what I said. I am going to take you to be in my father's house. Have you thought again recently of what that's going to be like to be in the presence of God? This is how Paul wrote it to the Corinthians. What no eye has seen nor ear heard nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. You cannot imagine how incredible it's going to be in heaven to be with God forever. You can't imagine. Now, I don't know about you, but... Thanks to Hollywood, I can imagine some really incredibly wild things, right? We watch them on TV all the time. We watch people fly. We watch people become invisible. We watch all sorts of stuff. We watch people get along with each other. That's a miracle in itself, right? We, we can imagine some pretty phenomenal stuff, but we cannot imagine how incredible it's going to be in heaven with God forever in his kingdom. We can't even imagine. We've never seen anything so amazing. We've never heard of anything so incredible. Our heart has never even imagined such a thing. That's the promise of God. But tucked in those words in verse 3 is Jesus talking about his personal presence, right? If I go, which he already did, we know that historically, he already has done that as we look back at this text. If I go, I will come again, that's part of the promise, 
and I will take you to myself. It's going to be amazing. My mom and dad are both in heaven. I look forward with great joy to seeing them. I have many friends who've gone before me. I have people that I've heard about and read about in Scripture that, man, I really want to, I really want to see them and talk to them. I think it's going to be pretty fascinating. But it is the presence of Jesus, my personal presence with Jesus, that's going to make heaven so incredible, right? Imagine all those other things and how good that's going to be. I often say, <laughs> someday Mitch is going to walk up to me in heaven and say, hey, Dad. I can't imagine, but beyond all of that, the presence of Jesus, the personal presence of Jesus, looking him in the eye, thanking him for what we, he accomplished to get me there. What an amazing thing, the presence of that where I am, there you may be also. The promise of God, the presence of God, and then I want to go to, I want to go and read for you some verses that aren't on your screen here, I don't think, from Revelation chapter 21. This is the perfection of what it'll be like. Then I saw, John is recording this vision, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. God himself, uh, he will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne, which is Jesus, God the Father, and Jesus at his right hand, behold, I am making all things new. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. It is absolutely the truth. It's going to happen. That's what it's going to be like. That's our home. So when we get into the uncertainties and the instabilities of life, we anchor our hope in Jesus who has provided for us a home, a place that we look forward to with all of our being. So we're dealing with our troubled heart. We're thinking about our home, and then we're remembering why we have such hope. Jesus said, and you know the way to where I'm going. I love when Jesus makes comments like that, right? Because Thomas is like most of us would love to be. Well, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? How do we know how to get there? We don't even know where you're going. We never even know if you're going to be in the room next 10 minutes from now, right? He's good old doubting Thomas. He's been around and been in enough of these situations where Jesus just showed up, and then he was just gone. And then everybody's looking for him, and he, oh, he went up into the mountain. How could we know where you're going? 
How could we possibly know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's our hope. You know the way, Jesus said to Thomas. You know, it's a really common question even today. How do you get to heaven? How are we going to be able to get there? And the, the politically correct and absolutely false answer is, well, you just do your best, right? All roads lead to God. We're all on a mountain climbing to the top, and God's up there, and we'll all find him, right? No. That's not how it is, not according to Jesus. We may all be climbing mountains, but there's only one mountain with God at the top. And we only get there through Jesus. There is only one way. It's exclusive. And I know that's completely unacceptable in our culture, where you're not being very tolerant. I didn't say it. People want to know, how do we get there? All different ways. Listen, we make it harder than we need to. Have you ever talked to somebody about the gospel who's struggling perhaps with something in their own life, and they're like, I just don't see how God could ever forgive me, and we give them the gospel, right? You, you repent of your sin. You believe in the, the truth of the gospel that Jesus died for you. He was buried. He actually came back to life again, and you, you repent of your sins, and you receive Christ. And they say, that's too simple. There's got to be more to it than that. This is both exclusive and it levels the playing field for everybody. Jesus says, I am the way. Listen, there are multiple ways to get to most everywhere, right? You can get to this church building coming from that direction or that direction. You can get off at Power Plant Parkway. You can get off at LaSalle Ave., you can probably go across Mercury Boulevard and come in some other direction, right? There are plenty of ways you can get here. There are lots of ways you can get to most everywhere, except maybe Pocosin. <laughs> but when it comes to heaven, this is what Jesus himself said. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We come through Jesus and him alone. He is the only way. He is the truth. Truth is not what the majority believes. In a world of my truth and your truth and what I think is true, we have to stand on what is actually true. We need to live in a world where there's confidence that there is, in fact, certainty. Jesus says, I am the truth. Not a truth, not somebody's truth, the truth. Two plus two equals four. Very good, class. It doesn't matter if some progressive mathematician comes along someday and says, you know, if you really study expanded and, and more college-level and university-level mathematics, there are occasions when 2 plus 2 might equal 5. Everybody with any sense is going to look at him and say, you are way too smart for your own good. You've studied too much because 2 plus 2 equals 4. Man, we could do that with all of the political hot buttons of the day, right? 
The first chapter of the Bible, when it says God made man, it says male and female, he created them. There's two of those, right? There aren't multiples. We don't have to be angry about that. We don't have to be nasty or unkind about that. But the truth is, there's male and there's female. And whichever one you are born is what you are. God made you that way. And Shania Twain aside, you don't get to be the other because you feel like it, right? I don't get to feel like a woman today, so I am. I am what God made me. In every respect, there is truth, and the truth is found in Jesus. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Jesus would say this again to Mary when he came to the tomb of Lazarus, who was one of the few people on this earth who had a resurrection early, right? Lazarus died, and they came and said, Lazarus is sick, and Jesus says to his disciples, okay, we're going to stay here another couple of days, right? And again, one of those things. I want to do a series of sermons on the really confusing comments of Jesus. Oh, he's sick. Good. Let's stay here for three or four more days. But he had a plan. We can trust him. He knew what he was doing. So he shows up, and Lazarus has died, and everybody's at the tomb crying. And Mary says, Lord, if you'd been here. Well, she's not wrong. If he had been there, he could have healed Lazarus so that he didn't die. But he had something else in mind. And he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he were dead... Yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said, I believe. Does that mean you will never die physically? No. It means there's something deeper at work. Your relationship to God has to do with your spiritual life, which will go on forever. Jesus says, I am the life. The way, the truth, the life. That's our hope so let me give you a couple of thoughts to take with you. Being anchored to Christ calms our troubled heart. Jesus said in this same chapter, in chapter 14 and verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Anybody else see a rainbow last evening as the rain had passed through? Man, it was bold and vibrant over top of Colony Pines where we live up in Newport News. It was incredible. In fact, my daughter was out traveling at the time and she called me. She said, have you seen this rainbow? And I went outside and I just stood there and I said, thank you, God, that you're faithful to your promises because you said you're going to put that bow in the clouds to remind us of that. Being anchored to Christ calms our troubled heart. I'm giving you my peace, not the way the world does, right? How does the world give peace? I have peace if things are good. I have peace if I have good news. I'm at peace if there's nothing stirred up in my relationships. I have peace if my job is secure. I have peace if my finances are okay. 
<sighs> Jesus says, I give a different kind of peace. I give the kind of peace that can give you peace when things aren't good. Because it's my peace and it is given to you. It's not dependent on what's happening around you. Now listen, I know it's not like a light switch. I totally get it. Right? It's, it is a learned practice to not let our heart be troubled. We don't just say, oh, okay, I'll stop being troubled. Right? It, it doesn't work that way. We all get that. But it begins by focusing our heart and our attention on Jesus and remembering there is an eternal plan in place here. So secondly, being anchored to Christ keeps us eternally minded. Man, we get just absorbed by everything that's happening here and around us, right? Sometimes it just is almost overwhelming. But being anchored to Christ keeps us eternally minded. Remember these verses that Paul wrote to the Colossians? If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things on the earth, for you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. I was, for some reason, this past week, thinking about what, what must it be like that moment that you pass from this life into eternity? Because in eternity, it's eternity, right? All of us here say goodbye for a time to people. When my dad passed, I was in the room. I said goodbye, and I haven't talked to him really face-to-face -face or on the phone or anything like that since. But in eternity, everything present at the same time, is it possible that in the experience of my dad in eternity, this isn't a time of separation? I don't know. I don't know all of these answers. But I know that I look forward to eternity, and it helps keep me stable now. Because if this now is 10 years or 30 years or 60 years or 100 years, it's going to seem short compared to eternity. And I've got all of eternity to just rest in the presence of God with all of that amazing stuff that's happening. So what do I do? I, I seek to focus my attention on Christ. I seek to die to myself. You are dead and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When I come to Jesus, I give up my life and I take his. It helps me realize there are more significant things going on than wars in the world or the stock market or the relationships that I'm struggling with in my own home. I have a hope. So being anchored to Christ calms our troubled heart. It keeps us eternally minded, and it starts with the gospel. I should have probably said it starts and ends with the gospel. Listen, maybe you're here today. Maybe you are uh, someone who's decided, you know what, I'm going to check out church. It's been a long time, first of the year, you know, New Year's resolution, whatever it is. I'm, I'm super glad you're here or maybe listening to us online. I'm really grateful 
maybe you've never come to the point where you've dealt with the issue of the gospel or aren't sure what it is. So here's the gospel. Jesus came and lived a perfect life. We celebrated it just a few weeks ago. He was born here. God with us. He lived for several decades a perfect life in full conformity to the law. And then he was put on trial for sins he never committed. Whose, whose sins? My sins. And was uh, crucified, underwent capital punishment for my sins, was put in the tomb, and on the third day literally came back to life again. Amen? Right? That's the gospel. So what do I do to get into a right relationship with God? I turn from my sin. I repent of my sin. I believe the gospel. I receive Jesus. It is that simple. You, you want to try and earn your way to God? You want to try? I'm just going to do my best and hope that the good outweighs the bad. Can I ask you a question? Just how good is good enough? That, to me, is such a hopeless way of going about it. It's either that or it's an excuse. Oh, I'm just doing my best. To some people, I want to say, really? Don't you, honestly? And to other people, I'm like, well, if anybody can make it, you could. But here's the problem. It's absolute perfection is the standard. There is no good enough except for Jesus, who was not only good enough, he was perfect. And so when I repent of my sin and believe in the gospel and receive Christ, a transaction happens. God looks at me and says, I consider the sin of David Wilson to be applied to Jesus on the cross. And I consider all of that perfect righteousness of Christ to be applied to the account of David Wilson. Now listen, you can ask my wife. I freely confess I am not perfectly righteous, not even nearly what I want to be. But in the sight of God, I'm perfectly righteous because I'm in Christ. So if you're here and you've never trusted in Jesus, that's what's waiting. And it gives you hope and it guarantees you a home and it helps to calm your troubled heart. One of the Psalms I like most, I can't remember the name of it, just or the number, but it just came to my mind. But God makes a promise that the one who is staying close to him, I will be with him in trouble. God does not promise we will not have trouble. He just promises we won't be alone. I'm really grateful for that. First anchor, anchor number one, we need to be anchored in Christ and the hope of our eternal home. Amen. Listen, we've got uh, a prayer team here. First of all, I should tell you, they're meeting after church. You are welcome to join them. They'll be meeting here this morning. Uh, Kevin, where are you? Where do you guys meet? Back there? Oh, right here in the auditorium. So just, oh, downstairs. That's right, in 45th Street room. Uh, so you're welcome to join them. They'd love to have you. But also, we have people that will be standing here under the uh, monitors up here. If you would like someone to pray with you, maybe you just want a kind of a fresh start to the new year, whatever it is, uh, man, they're here. That's why they're standing up here every week. I don't always mention it, but they would love to pray with you. Maybe you're here and you don't haven't really dealt with this issue of the gospel. They would love to talk to you about that, help you understand how you can know your sins are forgiven, you're on your way to heaven. 
you have a hope, you have a home, uh, let, them, let them do what they're here to do. They would love to talk with you and pray with you, okay? Listen, our, our team's going to come, and uh, I'm going to pray. They're going to come. We're going to sing again, and then we're going to do our benediction. And I picked a new one from the scriptures for this year, so uh, you'll have to pay a little closer attention, or more properly, I will have to pay a little closer attention. But uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for your, your grace to us. We are so incredibly grateful for Jesus and the hope that he has given us. We're thankful that we have a home in heaven waiting for us. We thank, we're thankful that we can have hope in the midst of troubled times. You can tr uh, calm our troubled hearts. Lord, I pray that that's happening even across this room right now and in homes where people are watching us. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would bring a sense of peace to people who need it uh, desperately. Lord, we pray for our world. We pray for our culture that we would be people of peace, preaching the gospel, reaching others, seeing, seeing the peace of God uh, prevail. But Lord, even in the midst of all of the craziness around us, may we be people who place our hope in Jesus and keep our focus on eternity. Thank you for what you'll accomplish in our hearts and through us as we do that in Jesus' name.